to this week's episode of the Leveling Up and Lactation podcast. If you're new here, thank you so much for stumbling into this little corner of podcast world. I am Erica Dutley, your host. Um, this podcast is an audio hub. It is a reprieve. It is an interview-style podcast of Black lactation professionals to get a glimpse behind the curtain of what it's like starting, maneuvering, and progressing through this field of lactation. It's also an opportunity for them to talk about their accomplishments so that they can share um, their joys and also any challenges to bring some inspiration to those of us who are newly in the profession and trying to gauge our footing on how to progress and how to make it our own. But it's also meant to bring some reality into what it's like inside of this profession so that those people that are considering it can walk into this profession with their eyes wide open. This week's episode was so warm and such a needed conversation for myself, so that means I know it was needed um, to hear by other people. This week's colleague is Kiana Ayers. Kiana has a passion for helping families access breastfeeding resources and prenatal education. A registered nurse, IBCLC, and Lamaze certified childbirth educator, she started Mamas and Tatas to give support to women in her community when they need it most. She is the executive director of Ready, Set, Push, Incorporated, a nonprofit dedicated to offering low-cost childbirth classes to low-income families. When she can spare a moment, you'll find her coming up with all kinds of ideas that may never come to pass, but she has so much fun imagining they will. She is completely committed to serving the underserved and to help advance equity so all families can have access to the necessary resources they need for a safe and healthy delivery. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this episode of the Leveling Up in Lactation podcast. Kiana, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And so there's, I think there's this misconception that there's not a lot of Black lactation professionals, but there are. <laughs> and so one of the ways that I learned about you is through the Future of Lactation um, Facebook group, as well as just kind of knowing other people that know you. And also from clients that have referenced you as their IBCLC. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. I when I was able to look through your previous interviewees and I was like, oh, you know, looking <laughs> just looking through everybody who, you know, I've either heard of or I know. So that's nice. Yeah. So I always love to kind of start by kind of going back to the beginning, if you will. And if you want to share with me, what are some things that you were up to before you learned about the field of lactation or even healthcare? So I've been a registered nurse for 20 something years. I don't, I don't know the exact number, but I've been a registered nurse since I was 21 years old. So that's, yeah, that's 20 something years, 23 years. And breastfeeding has always been a part of my life. Um, but I didn't even know about the field of lactation until I started breastfeeding and pumping and people would, you know, ask me about pumping. Um, I pumped with all of my kids was, you know, working as a, as a nurse. Mm -hmm. And I can remember pumping at the hospital and people would have so many questions. 
And then as just as I became known as the person who breastfeeds, I would just get all these questions about breastfeeding and breast milk. And I can remember people kind of throwing around the term, you should become a lactation consultant. I'm thinking, what do they do? <laughs> so I, I kind of took some time and I looked around at what Elsie's did, but the road to get there seemed sort of long and convoluted. And because I was working as like a med surge nurse, I wasn't doing any mother baby work or labor and delivery work. It sort of felt like out of my reach. So I let it go at the time. But I've always loved breastfeeding and loved taking care of, um, you know, answering other people's questions about it. Mm -hmm. So I then switched my hospital work to become a case manager. And through case management is how I became a lactation consultant. I started to work as a, first I was working as a physical health case manager, but I was always kind of sneaking around the OB case management mm. to see what they were doing. And I, of course, I had another baby at the time. So everybody knew that I was pumping and they were, you know, people have the strangest reactions to, to, to like discuss, to yep. how long are you going to feed that baby? And because I'm, I am an extended breastfeeder, like I, I breastfeed for a long time. I just became known around the office as, you know, that person. And it was so strange to most people. So I had an experience where um, the manager asked me to pump in the bathroom because there was nowhere on our floor to pump. And I knew that that wasn't, you know, the right thing to ask. So I started to pump at my cubicle. And one day, um, one of the medical directors walked up and everybody kind of jumped up to try to hide the fact that I was breastfeeding at the cube, pumping at the cubicle. So one day someone brought me the business case for breastfeeding. And here in Georgia, there was a um, real push so that people would start to incorporate lactation rooms and um, time for pumping, that sort of thing, as they were trying to make more federal laws around pumping. So there was like a whole business case and it was a way for you to propose that your company established a lactation room. So I took it to my leadership at the time. They gave me a budget. We, we made a beautiful lactation room. I started to dig into some more realizing that this was a, this was a law that this company really should have already had this up. So I think they were more impressed that um, I helped them get the room, but I probably also helped them avoid, you know, yeah. lawsuits later on. Right. So then, you know, my then um, supervisor approached about maybe doing a training as a, as a um, community breastfeeding. I think I, I can't remember the exact title. It wasn't CLC. Mm -hmm. It was CLE. I think that was the, the title. So I went to the training and I was hooked. I was like, this is amazing. Yes, I want to do it. And then it just kind of grew from there. I started to work with the OB case management team with their clients I realized that if I wanted that, if I was lacking support in a corporate environment, how much more so were these clients who were all Medicaid yeah. lacking support and access? So from then on, I just continued with my education. I was introduced to Rose, reaching our sisters everywhere. I consider myself to be a, 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 um, a, a leaf that fell from the rose. Kim and Mary, they crack up because every time I see them, I'm like, you are the reason that I am a lactation consultant. But it really is true. So I was introduced to them and I eventually created a breastfeeding program for the company that I was working for. We went on to establish curriculum um, 
to make sure that pregnant women, Medicaid families were getting quality lactation education and support in the community. It really took off. It was it was received really, really well. Um, but as we all know, when you are in someone else's house trying to do things the way that you see fit, yeah, it can become, you know, conflicting. So the time came for me to leave them, but I took with them all that I learned um, as far as like running um, groups and being able to, you know, connect with other professionals and institutions and what's important to corporations and how you really run a program. And I left and I started to do it on my own. So I, um, that was the road to get me to lactation. Um, and I know I'm jumping ahead with your questions too, but that was the, uh, the road to get me to become a lactation. And so it is definitely, um, connected specifically to Rose, um, because of the, their commitment to increasing, um, faces of color in this space as well. Yeah. And that, and no worries that there's so much information that you kind of jam packed in there that I want to kind of pull out a little bit. So one is that you were in the medical field for a while and it sounds like you had kind of friends or family that breastfed around you, or was that something that was very normal as far as your support system? So here's the, this is the cutest story. My grandmother had her baby. She had her first baby when she was 16 and she had to leave to have her baby. So she was living in North Carolina, but she had to go to um, Mississippi to give birth. And before she got on the bus to leave, her, her mother told her, don't breastfeed. She, she told her what make her breast sag. She told her, you know, you don't do it. Nobody does that. Don't you, in my grandmother's words, don't you put that baby on your titties. Right. Mm -hmm. So grandma gets to Mississippi. There's a there's like this one white doctor who's delivering all of these poor black women. And he told her, you better breastfeed. The breast milk will keep your baby, you know, from being sick, you know, and in that area where he was, I don't, I don't think formula was as accessible. So he was surrounded by poor families who were having all these sick babies. And he understood that, you know, to help them breastfeeding was important. So he, he told her, you have to breastfeed. And she did. So she said all the way on the bus home, she said her breasts were, you know, the latch was bad and her breasts were sore, but she did it. And when she came home, she continued to have kids. She continued to breastfeed them. So in total, she had six kids. Then she went on to have a career in healthcare. And she, she began to understand the importance of breastfeeding. And so all of her daughters breastfed then all of her granddaughters have since breastfed. So I'm a third generation breastfeeder. And like, not just that, like we were surrounded by women in the community that breastfed. So like in our case, my grandmother was still having kids when her daughters had kids. Mm -hmm. So she breastfed us, our aunts breastfed us, people who babysat us breastfed us. Yeah. So this whole like breastfeeding was so normal. It was normalized for me because everyone around me did it. And it became the expectation that when I had kids, of course I would breastfeed because that's what I come from. But I never knew when I started to learn that there was this theory that black women didn't breastfeed, it was shocking to me because we are just American black women. Yeah. And I, I said, what black women? Because every, every black woman around me breastfed. So that was, um, that, that's how I became to be, you know, to know breastfeeding. And also it kind of, I, I feel like it put me at a little bit of a disadvantage because I assumed 
that everybody was doing what we were doing, not knowing this, you know, later I came to know this history of American black women and breastfeeding, but going into it as a lactation consultant, I did not know it was as severe as it is. Yeah, and, and that's such a beautiful story. And and for people that are listening, like for myself, I was a first generation breastfeeder kind of returning back to breastfeeding, right? And it really yeah. takes that one person to kind of get it started back up again for yeah. it to be this ripple effect throughout yeah. generations, whether it's just simply seeing that somebody else is doing it or you're able to provide that encouragement or at a minimum, not provide discouragement from doing it yeah. <laughs> in general, right? Um, the other thing you mentioned is kind of realizing that lactation consultants were a thing, looking into it a little bit, and then backing off. Um, what kind of things were you seeing? Was it like the LLC website? I believe you mentioned you were already an RN at the time. And at that time, the um, the requirements may have been different. I believe they were different, um, if I'm thinking around the time frame that you're recalling. So, yeah, what I saw was like the whole... Um, I would I would have had either, to, you know, to be working in an area like that. WIC was an option. Um, La Leche League, I saw was an option. Um, and let me let me back up, too. I did at one point look again and I was like, I'm going to do this lactation thing. And I started down the um, La Leche League route. I thought to myself, that's probably the the best way for me, someone in my position. This was before, you know meeting up with Rose and, and linking up with them or even starting at that new job. This was still when I was a hospital nurse. I was like, well, you know, maybe La Leche League is a, is, is a good um, way to do this. And when I was, when I went to La Leche League, I was like, yeah, this is not going to work. It was beautiful to see that here was a community of people who had gotten lactation support down pat. Like they, they know how to do that, but there was no one there that looked like me and the type of culture that they embody being the whole, like, you know, stay at home mom, um, attachment parenting. I knew that that was not going to, that I was not going to be able to operate with the, with the type of, um, clients that I was seeking to help in that environment. Um, they were very nice, very welcoming. I'm sure if I had just stayed, you know, stayed with them, I would have done it, but it just didn't seem like it was going to work with the type of clients that I wanted to serve. Yeah. And so as far as kind of that time frame, if we're talking about, I think you mentioned that eventually you um, got the, uh, a CLE, which I believe is a certified lactation educator. Yes. More so to the community. Did you ever consider just kind of at that level of lactation support or did you feel as if you needed to become an IBCLC at, at a point? Yeah, I knew I needed to finish the credential because I knew I wanted to, I knew eventually that I wanted to be able to run programs or run a private practice. And I knew like I needed to finish. Um, and I also, as I started to see that there weren't that many of us and that there were barriers, I think it made me, it made me desire to finish even more so. Um, so I knew I would be more respected on the corporate level if I had that designation. So I knew I needed to finish it. And you, you mentioned some names down there that are huge names <laughs> down in Georgia. 
Um, outside of them, were there any type of lactation support in the hospital that you noticed or were you so insulated with that familial support that that wasn't even on your radar? So in the hospital, they I, I actually, at my local community hospital, I approached several of them and asked for mentorship um, was, was quickly told, no, we don't have enough time. It became very, and these were not other, other black LCs. So it, it quickly became apparent like, okay, this is not a door that, that this door is kind of shut, yeah. you know, like this, this door is not going to be easily open. Um, and so when I say that I'm, I'm extremely thankful to Rose, I mean it, there were, you know, I'm literally going around the city like, hey, I need a mentor. Hey, I can come do hours or hey, I can do this. No, you know, the answers were no. And I'm looking around like, well, how is it that in from what I'm seeing, you know, with lactation, so many of you guys are doing this, but why, you know, why is it so difficult for us to do it? Yeah. And so around the time that you became an IBCLC, I think you mentioned that it's been over five years. Were there any other Black people that were becoming IBCLCs around the same time that you learned about? Yes. So when I started the journey, one of my good friends, Tashara Johnson, started it with me. Another um, Black LC started it with me. She's now in midwifery school. I can't think of her name off the top of my head. But there were, on that journey, there were the three of us together when we um, took classes with Rose and prepared for our exam. Once we were ready to do that, um, we were on the journey, but I didn't meet them until later, you know, until I started to get to the point where it was time for me to test. Um, we, but it, it felt very lonely before I met Rose, I will say. Yeah. And so with that in mind, as far as setting for the exam, what was that kind of dynamic like around that time as far as was it very anxious was it very um you felt really prepared in hindsight so i i wanted to take the exam but money was a money was a barrier yeah um i was like yeah i don't have at the time i was a single mom i was working you know paying my bills i didn't have that extra income to to potentially take an exam and fail right Right. So I was like, yeah, not interested. But the Georgia Breastfeeding Coalition had a scholarship um, program. So I submitted my application. I was awarded the scholarship. And that's how I ended up taking the exam. And I was so appreciative um, that I was given that opportunity because I, I don't think that had I had that opportunity that I would have said, I knew in my mind it was on my radar. I'm going to take the test, but it wasn't something that I was like, I'm going to do it this year. Got it. Right. Because I was already working. I was already working in my role. Nobody was give, putting that much pressure on me to take it. Mm -hmm. But once that opportunity came up to do it, I, I knew I would do it. And it also gave me an incentive to do well on the exam because somebody else was paying for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I found for me, it, it resembled nursing tests. So I can easily see how someone who's not coming from a medical or healthcare background can find that test to be so daunting. Yeah. For sure. And so with that in mind, after you pass the exam and even kind of on the journey, as far as like your family, 
were they kind of really excited? Did they feel that kind of having a formal title was necessary because you've been doing it for generations? What was that support like? Oh, it even to this day, my mother will say, I cannot believe that you have to help people breastfeed. It is so, she is like, really? Like it really, yeah. When my family is like, really? You have to help people do that? Yeah, they don't, they're very proud, you know, of course, because they know, you know, about my work in the community and they know how hard and how passionate you know, I feel about it, but they really are dumbfounded. Like, really? Like, this is a thing. Yeah. This is a whole thing. Sure. Yeah. But they are so after, really, really proud. Love it. So after getting those letters, what are the different settings that you've worked in? And what's maybe a couple of pros and cons for the different settings? So I love private practice. Love it, love it, love it. You get to really, you know, spend one-on-one -on -one time with your client, you get to decide what you do, what you don't do. It, it, the independence is awesome. That's a pro. Um, I think that, and to be able to, when you are an IBCLC in private practice, you also are, to me, are more able to move around in your community. Sometimes I feel like the CLCs and the CLEs that operate private practices tend to Kind of not operate in the shadows per se, but they sort of isolate yeah, because they kind of feel like they can't, you know, reach out and be a part of the larger um, groups that are doing private practice because of the, you know, in here in Georgia, you know, we have this, con we have this um, lawsuit still pending and we have, you know, like who can do yeah. what as far as um, scopes of care. CLCs were traditionally um slated to do education and not clinical care mm -hmm. so when you have a clc who's doing clinical care to me sometimes they they tend to operate you know more independently because you know they don't want to kind of get into the the group of which you know most of them are still you know that there's not a ton of we you know black ibclcs especially in private practice right so I find that having that designation and being able to operate just, you know, with everyone else and, you know, um, refer to physicians and and be a part of the community was is very important to me because I'm able to take advantage of all the things that that designation offers without feeling like someone is going to say to me, well, you don't have the qualifications to do that anyway. And for me, being a black woman, it's for me, it was important that I have that designation as I moved in the spaces that I want to move in. Um, the con to it, to private practice for me, is the paperwork. I hate it. Um, yeah, I was so thoroughly impressed by you and your organization skills. I said, oh, she must, she's got, oh. she might be somebody I need to meet, meet <laughs> offline. My goodness, you are amazing. Thank you. So but, uh, yeah, the administrative part is like really difficult for me. Um, but there are tools and there are resources and I just need to, you know, use them to automate systems and do things so that I can, you know, do the work that I love. Um, I love the consulting aspect of it. I think that I would not be as approached to, to speak and um, do, you know, be you know, touted as an authority. I've been able to do some marketing things with um, with products. I, I've been able to share, you know, my knowledge with the, I was doing a consulting gig for a healthcare system, but I was able to bring my expertise to their 
milk room and their NICU program. Um, I think that that designation, you know, enables me to be called on to do other things that I would not have been able to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I can, I can co-sign on that as well. I'm, I'm newer into the profession, but I definitely feel having those five letters for whatever reason, it's kind of the key card to get into a lot sure. of to be able to have access to information, whether it's just simply listening or being the person to provide information. And then the other point you mentioned was being seen as an authority figure um, or really knowledgeable about specific things. So I think that is a big component as what drives a lot of us to continue on past certain levels of lactation care to get it, whether or not we feel it should be necessary. And there's definitely a lot of barriers to get there, one of which is mentorship. Now that you are an IVCLC, is that something that you provide to others that are trying to become IVCLCs? So because my volume is not where it wouldn't be conducive to me having like somebody who could come and sit with me every day and see clients because I don't work in that way. Mm -hmm. What I did do was I teamed up with a group of other Black IBCLCs in the Metro. And we are kind of piloting mentorship where we will say we have one person, but she can rotate, she or he could rotate through all of us. So that if one person doesn't have enough volume, then I have I have some clients today or you have some clients this day or you could come over here. There's a there's a huge. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, difference between what it looks like being a black IBCLC in practice and what we see in this metro Atlanta area for um, some of the other businesses that are super profitable and able to have, um, you know, just direct referrals. We still sit behind, um, there are lots of doors that just aren't open for us easily. Not that they can't be open, but we have to work. I'm not even going to say three times as hard. We have to, we would have to, and, and, and it's not only just that we have to work four or five, six times as hard. We also don't have the family supports that other, you know, we don't have. So we have to continue to work to support ourselves financially while attempting to build businesses. It makes it extremely difficult on us to come into this space and have a thriving business. And then in that case, be able to open the door up for mentorship. Yeah, that's that's such a beautiful framework and definitely keep me posted because it's something where I think about that as well, being wanting to be in a position and have the volume to take on a mentee. But it's very similar for myself. But the fact that you all are kind of collaborating together is one thing just to be able to refer to other people in different areas of the city, but also having kind of that inner working of togetherness. So that way, if you have one mentee that you're collectively bringing in, I believe it's called the Thrive. Yes, yes, that's us. That's us, yeah. So they get the opportunity to not only have access and be able to follow one specific IBCLC, but they're able to have that diversification of different areas, different teaching styles. Um, so I think that's such a beautiful framework that hopefully goes well and we can kind of mimic that in different areas around the country. Yeah, I think that, yeah. yeah. We, we, we're we trying because we, we know the need exists, but there's, it's almost like, you know, imagine you're a toddler and you're trying to learn how to walk and then you're trying to teach the toddler behind you how to walk. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's what it feels like. Perfect analogy. It's like, it's like you're you're unsteady on your feet and you're wobbling and you don't know where you're going, but you're like, hey, let me try to help somebody else. That's that's what it feels like. Yeah. And so what is that fuel? You mentioned kind of juggling a couple of different things. That collective, you have your own private practice. It sounds like you're doing other things within the community that ready, set, push. I'm familiar with that as well. So yes. what's the fuel that keeps you motivated and moving? And then share a little bit about that ready, set, push initiative. So I came to understand when I was doing work as a with my 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 very bestest friend. She's a nerd, she's a certified nurse midwife. And she started a home birth business and took me along on the journey. And what I started to understand was that breastfeeding education has to start when you're pregnant. Yes. That we can't separate the pregnancy from like, yes, typically you don't interact as much with the lactation consultant until your baby is in your arms. But I quickly saw that with our community and with first generation breastfeeders, that's not going to work. Yeah. Like we have got to try to reach people once it actually in preconception health, right? So elementary school, middle school, high school, to try to introduce the concept that breastfeeding is normal, that it is the way you feed your baby. It is the way you should. It is the first choice to feed your baby, right? Yes. So because the goal of, you know, starting an elementary school <laughs> was felt a little too lofty for me, <laughs> I said, well, the, at the least, at the very least, I could, you know, try to start in pregnancy where, you know, the research shows that people are, you know, willing to change their minds about things or, you know, willing to make different choices now that they're pregnant. So that's what gave birth to Ready, Set, Push was I, the strong desire to reach people when they are pregnant with not just breastfeeding education, but with childbirth education, focusing on, you know, our dire rates of um, infant maternal, infant and maternal mortality, especially in our state, we can directly see that, you know, we have a lack of access to quality resources. We don't, there are pregnancy centers and there are, you know, programs at health departments, but they don't fully address the whole person consistently. Yeah. Like we'll have, you know, a little gym here or a little gym there, but we can't, if I, if I am a person who receives state assistance, Medicaid or food stamps, there's not like a single place that I can go and that I know I'm going to get quality resources. And so that's what drove me to create Ready, Set, Push with the desire that I know that lactation and childbirth education, they, they should really be in the same arena. Like I, I'm going to get better results if I focus on the prenatal part. If things happen in the postpartum, I'll have less work to do. Yes. Then if I, then if, you know, then if I'm just meeting you and you, you've already given birth. Yes. Uh, so many pieces I want to pull from that. And one of which is kind of getting that information to normalize and have that um, exposure therapy, if you will, at early ages to know that breastfeeding is a thing. It's very normal. It's something that, you know, you have the ability to do at a very young age. Um, one of my previous guests, Nashita Pollard, the um, author of Magical Milk, loved that. I saw that. <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, you know, sometimes when you are thinking of all the things that need to come together, it, I, even you, like what you're doing, what she's doing, it just looks like there is just this, all these little pieces that are coming together from out of all these places. 
And as they come together, they're really helping to change the narrative around Black women and breastfeeding. There was a, um, I think it was last month or it was probably August. Sometimes these months move really fast. And we just had this flood of beautiful pictures of Black women breastfeeding just all over the place, right? At the same time, I was doing research about um, the history of Black women and breastfeeding for a talk I was going to give. And one of the research articles brought out that visuals are important. And the fact that there have been generations of us that have only seen breastfeeding in the context of slavery. Yes. That's it. The only pictures of breastfeeding we saw was a black, was a person who appeared to be a slave with a white baby on their breast. And I thought now we have all of these visuals of black women breastfeeding and people are sharing them, not knowing that those visuals are changing the, the, the minds of these elementary kids. There are books, just like you mentioned, the author. So all of the things that you dream of, all of the things that you know we need to do to change it, they're happening. And yeah. it also make, it also helps me to understand that I am just a piece of the puzzle, yeah. right? I don't have to be, I don't have to try to grab everything. So I can, I, I focus on what I'm good at and then everybody else focuses on what they're good at and together we're changing it. Just little by little, we're changing it, which is really, really exciting. Yes. And I, I could not agree more with that piece about everybody's doing their part and kind of doing that. And as it incrementally, it may not feel like we're really kind of making a dent, right? But right. Piece all those things together, we're really kind of making this wave and this shift. Yes. Of, yes. It's so invigorating to be able it to is. together and the way that you framed it because sometimes I feel it's like I have to do all these different things to feel as if I'm making an impact and kind of leave an impression on this field. But it's like, no, we, we have each other to be able yep. to say that, hey, I really want to tackle this for this year or this, you know, next couple of years. And then we have that momentum and shift and we can provide resources or financial support or articles or different tools to help them while we're focusing on this other area. So I yep. think so critical to us progressing and moving this forward. And then also having those images like you talked about and having images where we're seeing black moms and parents be joyful and yep. see these vibrant colors and just smiling. And it's not this equation of breastfeeding or latching or pumping equates to pain or it's daunting or it's not something that's sustainable, right? Yeah. It normalized that it's something that you can do for not only multiple weeks, but multiple years, right? And it's something that still has value. So I think that's making such a deep impression, even with my prenatal clients, when I kind of generally ask, do you have an initial breastfeeding goal? And yeah. having kind of like, uh, I don't know, I'll try it in a hospital. I'm hearing six months, two years. Yes. You know, I'm hearing that more consistently and it's like, it's working. <laughs> Yes, it is. It really, really is. And, you know, we, it's funny because we have a different sort of, you know, barrier because we have a different generation yep. of mothers who are not going to do, you know, I don't know what your own personal breastfeeding experience was, but mine was like very laborious and self-sacrificing mm -hmm. and, you know, and we have these new generations who are like, yeah, no, I'm not doing it like that. So we we having to like even, you know, be like, okay, but you could still do this, you know, kind of making it a little more palatable. 
yeah. because we have a different generation of people who maybe aren't going to, you know, um, be tolerate yep. as, as much as what, you know, maybe what I was willing to tolerate when it comes to breastfeeding. So it's interesting um, as, as, as we continue to grow in this field, especially as we, you know, birth more breastfeeding families. Absolutely. And I think also one thing you mentioned is the exposure with people seeing it as a profession. And that's been something on, on my agenda to want to do is you hear about, you know, career days at school, right? And you get the firefighters or the teachers that go in and kind of share. But I would love if we had like birth work career fairs, right? So that people in high school, or if they're still trying to figure out a career path, they don't have to wait until they have kids or wait until they stumble upon it like I I did, right? But it's right. where it's something that they can think through in middle school or in high school to say, what would be the path to me being a lactation consultant? And I can kind of start off with that being the objective, right? So I would love for that to take off as well, whether I have the time to start doing that now. <laughs> I know, oh but that's a, that's a wonderful, like, that's a wonderful thought because- yeah, this is a viable option for you as you leave high school. That's really cool. Yeah. So in hindsight, right? So you've been in the healthcare field over 20 years, been doing this lactation work for five plus years. Is there anything you would go back and redo with all that you know now? Um, that's a good question. I think I need another um, couple of years in the game before I could answer it mm. with... <laughs> Um, but I would say, I, I could honestly say this, knowing the business part of things has been a real barrier for me, not knowing, I'm sorry. Um, and I think in a field like this, that is so new and you're not, you know, there aren't just jobs all over the place or jobs that, you know, make sense for the communities that we want to serve, right? Reimbursement is not where it needs to be for Medicaid. You can't really, if you really want to serve a certain population, you're only going to be able to do it with, you know, with certain, it, it, there's a lot of barriers, right? So I think when I was on the journey of becoming an IBCLC, if I could have also been on the journey of maybe really, you know, getting some sort of business degree, that would have been a lot more helpful for me. And maybe it wouldn't have been because I mean, if I'm still having to work and build, you're, you're only one person. Yep. You only have 24 hours in a day. So maybe even with the knowledge, it, you know, it's just difficult um, being in this place where, you know, you want to be able to do so many things, but you have the hindrances and the additional barriers of, of systems that just aren't open for you. Even when you have the exact same offerings, the doors are closed to you. Yeah. That's hard. So I think definitely I would have, you know, tried to gain more business knowledge. But I, in actuality, I am happy to be doing this in a way that makes me feel good um, and flexible. And that I, I'm able to pull back and stop when I feel tired or worn out. I'm also able to give when I when I can. It feels very doable for me to continue when burnouts, but when I start to feel burnout, I pull back and I, you know, I get quiet and then I get up and I gear up and I do more. And it, it, it feels like I can continue to work in this way. Maybe as opposed to if I was, you know, going at full speed, maybe I would have burnt out by now. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's great information for those that are listening and for myself as well is it's going to be this ebb and flow, right? Just like how milk flows. It's not this yep. fast stream that's coming out. It's going to die down a little bit and then you yep. break, you get some stimulation somewhere and then you can rev back up and keep flowing. Um, so I think that's that's really that's really important to hear from people that have been in the field um, as far as as long as you have been. And I can co-sign on that as well. I think we don't know what we don't know, right? But it's like having some type of, whether it's like a mentorship group, as far as like the business component, yep. being in this profession. And I even knew I wanted to be in private practice, but I was so hyper-focused on learning clinical care and counseling and, you know, the information but it's like, I see the finish line and I see where I want to be, but it's like, I have to slow down because I have to backtrack and make sure things are in place and knowing when to pull in consistent, you know, an admin or um, an accountant and, you know, all these yeah. things that we're learning on the fly. So for those that are listening and think, you know, you see the finished product on Instagram or Facebook on our pages, it's a lot yep. behind the scenes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yep. But you have those pros and cons, right? You have that flexibility. You're able to kind of do your schedule however you need it to be without needing to have those checks and balances or red tape and different things like that. But there's going to be a flip side to that. So I think knowing that going in, I think will help hopefully a lot of people out in the future to kind of adjust expectations of what that first year, two, five, 10 years is going to look like. Sure. In it yep. for the long haul. Yeah, I've always, you know, as I'm in this thing, I, I read things that always because it takes about 10 years to be yep. an overnight success. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I love that. I love that saying because yeah, you don't you it takes a while of you know finding what really it is that you want to do. First you think, yeah, this is it, and then you're doing it. And you go, yeah, this isn't it. Yep. I, yeah, I quickly learned that like seeing clients every day or even or even doing home visits all day is not what I want to do with my life. And so, you know, I just had, but I had to do it to, to understand that. Like, yeah, this is not for me. So, you know, I think of finally settling into the, the nonprofit side is really what I love, the education side, the uh, accessing resources side. Of course, I still love, you know, doing, having clients, but overall, that part is what makes me the happiest. That's where I find the most, um, I feel like I can be the most impactful. And that's the part that I want to focus on. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that drew me into the profession is that there's so much nuance in being a lactation consultant. It's not just kind of, you know, one-on-one -on -one exchanges with families, right? There's so many things you can do within it. And I've been in this first couple of years of trying all the different things, having five consults a day, doing home visits, doing telehealth, doing... And it's like, okay, what are the things that I enjoy doing? When do I start to kind of teeter out? Is it after three consults, two consults, you know, and trying to fine tune what's going to be sustainable, but also being intrigued by presenting or writing and not feeling that I'm only held to only doing one version of a lactation consultant. So I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yep. All right. So for someone who's inspired simply listening to your story, what would be a suggestion that you would provide on how they can get started in the field? I would say don't do it alone. There are like, I think I found so much comfort in 
working with others, either side by side with them as you build, or even sometimes it may be appropriate to work together. So surrounding myself with that village has been extremely helpful and definitely has, I've gotten a lot farther because I was surrounded by others who were on the same journey as me. So don't do it alone. And no one is in competition with you, even if they're in the same city as you. So for example, you know, we talked about Thrive. So that's a group of us there. But in my city where I have my private practice, me and another LC share an office. We both realized we didn't have enough volume where we didn't want to pay rent for an office that, you know, would be full sometimes and not full sometimes. And it just made it so less stressful. And we're in the same city, but we're not in competition. Yeah. So I always tell, you know, there's a McDonald's over here and there's a McDonald's over there. Like You'll be fine. (laughs) Like Because what I have to offer, she doesn't. And what she has to offer, I don't. Right. So it's, it's okay. Like it's okay to share your ideas and share your space and link up with others because it really does help you to on your journey. And then you'll know when it's time, you know, for you to split off and do things on your own, or there are some initiatives that you don't need, you know, a a partner to do, but I would say having a buddy makes this thing so much easier. Yes. Agree. So for those who just got their test results saying that they pass and they're like, okay, now what do I do? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Recommendation that you have for people in that moment. Well, depending on your background, you know, really try to um, learn your craft, find out who in your area is doing it and you know who you really admire. And then just say, you know, can I come, you know, to a couple of visits with you or can I, you know, observe you for a few days or can I, you know, learn your craft and then, you know, watch what they're doing and then, you know, adjust it to what, to the type of LC that you're going to be. Ask for feedback. So don't ever be afraid to have surveys when you're working with clients because you need to know what's going well and what's not going well. Um, Join, you know, the, uh, there's plenty of online forums that you could join that, you know, where you can throw up questions. And then I, you know, of course we all love future, but I love that, you know, it it feels like a safer space sometimes because some of the other private practice groups can be, you know, kind of harsh almost. So you want to be somewhere where you, you know, if you put a question in, nobody's going to yank your head off or make you feel like you're stupid for asking. Yes. So be in a safe space where you can ask clinical questions, where you can share your experience, where you can, you know, bump things off people. That's very important. Never feel like you have to work alone and don't stop learning. Make sure you attend the conferences, go to the webinars, know what the latest research is. Um, because then that way you're keeping up with your, your, your profession and you're not giving out bad information. Mm -hmm. You're, you, you know, you're, you're learning and growing and that way you can be the best that you can be for the people that you serve. Absolutely. And it's something where it's, we don't have this expectation that right after you get those credentials, you have to know all the things and have everything perfect, right? On day one, because it's this constant state of motion, this constant state of learning, because research comes down the pipeline. (laughs) It seems like every other month that we have the rest of, 
speaking with um, Dr. Sakita Lewis a couple weeks ago, and she was saying that, you know, she's been in this field for this length of time, and she had a, 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 a chief complaint that she had never had before. And she had to kind of stop and really reach out to people and do research and read through books because you're going to encounter every single thing that's in textbooks right out of the gate, right? So knowing that you're not always going to have the answers. Yes. Acknowledging that, doing the research, asking for help is what's going to make you um, a great provider and allow you to progress in this field. Another thing I would say too is like, don't feel the pressure. I think because our profession is, is, you know, a, a, a new one. Yep. We feel, some of us feel like we need to be the speech therapist, yeah. the counselor, the body work provider, the, the midwife. And it's okay to just be the LC if that's what you mm-hmm. want to do, Right. Don't feel like you need to have expertise in everybody else's arena surrounding lactation in order for you to be marketable or you to be profitable. I think because I'm a registered nurse, I'm in a climate where when you come to your primary care doctor with an issue, your primary care doctor identifies that you need a gastroenterologist or you need a pulmonologist or you need a cardiologist and they refer you. Yeah. So as LCs, I've seen this trend that LCs want to be everything. Mm-hmm. They want to feel like, oh, I'm a, I'm an expert in this. So you don't have to see speech therapy or I'm an expert in that. And you don't have to do this. Like there's nothing wrong with having those additional certifications. But I would say don't feel bad when you need to refer to yes. the expert. Because to me, I feel like I do a disservice to my clients if I'm not finding out who does what well and making sure they're connecting with those people because I'm not the authority on everything, even though I know a little bit about a lot of stuff, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that I should not know who's doing what in my community and use those resources so that my client can get holistic care that maybe that they're not going to get just by staying with me. So referrals are a huge part of what I do. I try to make my network big and vast and make sure that I have things for all income levels because I can't do it all. I know what I know about milk and about milk supplies and about getting milk out of the breast. But I also know if there's something that's going on that's a little bit above my pay grade, I have no problem saying, hey, you need to go over here. And it doesn't make me look any less than. Yes. Love that. What a timely takeaway. Because I I think you're right. It's very, you know, it feels pressure sometimes to feel as if you have to differentiate yourself when it's like, we have to know a lot just simply being an LC. Exactly. Knowing that craft and not trying to kind of feel the pressure to have all these additional things, especially right out of the gate, right? It's something where you have value just in and of where you're at and really investing and learning that backwards and forwards, right? So I think that's such a great reminder to all of us, especially newer in the field. And we're seeing all the glitz and glamor of all these different multiple services that people offer, which is okay if that's something that you're looking for, but not to feel less than. If no, or the pressure to do it because I have no interest in a lot of those things. And I, But I wanna know who's doing it yeah. and I wanna know who to send you to for sure. Kiana, we are going to shift over into the letdown segment of the show. And so we've had some stimulating conversations. So these are going to be rapid fire, yes, no, short answer questions. So you can just let the answers flow. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. 
The first question is if you could only use one resource to study for the LLC exam, what would that resource be? Oh my goodness. Ugh. I would say the LER resources. Perfect. If you knew being a lactation consultant or professional was a career option before having your children, do you feel that you would have been drawn to do it? Oh, man, that's hard to answer. Uh, yes. The next question, is running a business as challenging as you anticipated? It's way more challenging. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. If you could only name one, who is someone within the profession that has had the greatest impact to your journey? Mary Jackson. And the last question is, what is one word you would use to describe your journey? Um, invigorating. Love it. Kiana, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Please share with us any contact information such as an email, social media accounts, websites, so we all can stay connected. So my website is mamasandtatas.com. So M-A-M-A-S-A-N-D-T-A-T-A-S.com. And that's the same on Instagram. I'm at mamasandtatas. Um, for the nonprofit side, it's Ready, Set, Push. So it's www.readysetpush.org. And it's also on Instagram at Ready, Set, Push, I-N-C. Um, my... Um, email is similar. You can find me at Kiana Ayers at readysetpush.org. That's probably the easiest one to find me. Um, and you could also just, you know, if you hit me up on any either of the websites and send a contact, I will respond. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. I'll have all that information down in the show notes and we'll see you guys on the next one. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. My pleasure. Kiana for sharing that conversation with me and I think it was timely and needed to not feel as if we needed to take on more than what we possibly desire to take on with trying to support families that is absolutely okay to build this robust um, referral system and not feel as if we need to know everything about everything because lactation is so full of things that we need to know and we need to know it well for us to be um, an effective authority figure on infant feeding. So if you're feeling as if um, you need to just keep chugging along and keep adding additional letters behind the lactation credential that you currently have, sit and assess, is that something that you want? Is that something that's sustainable for this chapter um, in this profession? And I also love that she really shared the candid realities of working in private practice is that we do hyper-focus on getting across that finish line of some of us becoming IBCLCs, but the reality is starting private practice, there's so much unknown and we're really trying to figure it out on the fly. So taking the time that you need to really um, become a solid um, provider, but also a solid business owner, if that's something that you're interested in being um, that type of lactation professional, um, but also knowing that you can really pool resources and really reach out to your community and other people that um, are working in the same lane as you. Because again, the special sauce, the special thing that you bring to the table can't be replicated, even if you're another lactation consultant working in the same office as another, as a different lactation consultant, right? Um, so remember those things. Um, if you'd like to learn more 
about Kiana. Um, you can reach her on multiple different websites, including um, mamasandtatas.com, readysetpush.org, thethrivecollective.com. All of that information will be down in the show notes. If you'd like to learn more about this podcast, you can go to levelingupinlactation.com. Please give us a follow and comment on our post on Instagram and Facebook at levelingupinlactation. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, and share it with a friend. We'll see you on the next one.